Hello and welcome to another edition of the Who Says No NBA Trade Podcast. We are in the middle of the conference finals. A lot of exciting stuff going on. DeAndre Ayton just had a game-winning alley-oop goaltending dunk thing, which is one of the most exciting moments of the playoffs, which is awesome. Uh, that's not what we're going to talk about, though. We're here to talk about what happened before that, which is the NBA draft lottery. Always an exciting day. My name is Colin Ward-Hendinger. I'm one of the hosts of this podcast. Right now, I'm going to bring on the other hosts of this podcast. We had a very eventful night because there was so much to write about and so much to talk about. Sam Quinn, I, I applaud you. This is your third podcast in three days, and it's coming on one of the most eventful nights of the NBA season. Yeah, man. I mean, we're at that point in the schedule where, you know, we all feel a little bit overwhelmed. I mean, it was a crazy, crazy night. Clippers almost even the series against the Suns, obviously right at the last second they don't. But naturally, like I, I wish that the lottery had either happened earlier in the day or the Suns Clippers game had happened a little bit later. Like I wish we could have recorded this podcast fresh off of the lottery. But now I have so much like actual basketball in my head that I have to think back like, wait, who won the lottery? It must have been the Knicks, right? I'm literally, I literally have like the lottery, the NBA draft order in front of me because I cannot remember what happened like six hours ago or whatever this happened. It, it Did is the Lakers a little jump weird. up? I think the happened? Lakers got number one, uh, the Knicks got number two, and who's going to both... draft Anthony Davis? <laughs> Anthony Davis has requested a trade, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's it is weird that they do it, and it's like they finish, and then the game starts, and it's like you don't even have time to like digest this, like. There's only one game tonight, and it was late. There were no games yesterday. There were no <laughs> games yesterday. Like, I think the NBA could do a better job with it because it is. I don't know if you. It's such an important night for the future of these franchises, and to me, it's almost like almost every year I get so excited for it, and then it's a little anticlimactic. It's just like they open the envelopes, and there's not much reaction. Obviously, this year is virtual, which it's usually a little more engaging when there's people there in person, but not much. It's just kind of like they show the reaction and nobody ever really does anything except Sun Cash made a funny face and it, it drives Twitter crazy. I mean, that was probably the most exciting thing that happened. I wish they were a little bit more dramatic with the way that they opened the envelopes, too. Like, we were talking about this in Slack. What if the reigning rookie of the year got to open the envelopes? Like, there has to be a better way to do it, because especially when you're talking about the first few envelopes that they're opening, it's always super anticlimactic, right? Because, like, the Warriors, number 14, have a 0.5% chance, I think, maybe a 1% chance. We know that they're going to be in that envelope. You've got to have more fun with it. Yeah, exactly. And, I mean, anytime you can get LaMelo Ball to host anything with those gigantic sunglasses on and chains around his neck, I think is going to be much more exciting than, who is it, Mark Tatum that does it or somebody like that? Yeah, by the way, how do they decide that? Like, why, does, why is the lottery the deputy commissioner's event? You know, I'm sure it was just something where, like, David Stern was like, I don't want to do this. And then it just it just became tradition. Wait, I have another question. I, is it just me? I, I, I'm not thinking that far back. Like, maybe I'm wrong. But it doesn't feel like Mark Tatum specifically has been doing the lottery for, like, 20 years. Yeah. Well, so it used to be – we always talk about it because me and my wife uh, was one of her favorite things about the NBA is that during the NBA draft – when they introduced the commissioner, it was always David Stern. Yeah. He would get booed. And then when they he left for the second round and they brought on the next guy who used to be Adam Silver, they would all cheer. And it's kind of like this gimmick. And then when Silver started doing it, when Silver came out, they all booed. And then Tatum came out and now they all cheer. So I really like that part of it. But you're right. It does seem like right. Tatum's been doing this forever. So my question is, I don't ever remember Adam Silver doing the lottery when he was the number two. 
I, Am I wrong? I might be uh, wrong. That's I don't remember it. Yeah, I mean, I don't remember it either. Maybe he's I just got like a. I remember Marcato. He's got a nice a nice face. He's one of those faces you don't forget. Silver's yeah, just forgettable. Maybe he really is just that charismatic. Or maybe it's one of those things where like if he's doing his job right, we don't notice it at all. There you go. Like a, a good official. Like Adam Silver opens the envelope and it's like, wait, why is there a Winnipeg Jets logo in here? Yeah. Or like, why did? How did the St. Louis Cardinals get the number two pick in the NBA draft? Like, hold on. Wait. <laughs> this is infinitely more complicated than we realize. Or like, they just open the envelope and it's a crying Jordan face. The, the Harlem Globetrotters do want to become the 31st NBA team. I don't know if you saw that. So maybe they could get a, a lottery pick. They open the envelope and it's just Woj. It's like, oh, Woj gets to the side. It's a Woj bomb. Yeah. Chris Paul's playing in Game Three. We anyway. Anyway, go on. The lottery. It happened. So uh, congratulations, Detroit Pistons. You're getting Cade Cunningham. First of all, we should say that uh, Cade Cunningham said he's only going to visit one team, and it was the team whoever got the number one pick, and it's Detroit. And then when general manager Troy Weaver was asked about getting the number one pick, he said it's going to be great to add a wing to the roster that we already have. So I think we all know what's happening with number one. You know, my first reaction when we heard who the top four was, was that Cleveland has won the lottery a billion times. Houston has been bad for like five minutes. And the Raptors won the championship in 2019. So karmically speaking, it kind of had to be the Pistons, right? Right. So it's Detroit, Houston, Cleveland, Toronto, Orlando are the top five. Orlando was the one that kind of got screwed because they had as much of a chance to get the number one pick as Detroit and Houston. Uh, But they also kind of benefited because they got the number eight pick, which is Chicago's um, due to the Nikola Vucevic trade. So they have five and eight, which not as good as three probably in this draft, but it's, it's better to have two. Well, I would say they, they, you can call them one of the losers, but I would say the real loser of the night is Oklahoma city, right? Because not only do they not get a top five pick, if Houston's pick had been number five, then they would have been able to swap number 18 from Miami for that. So now they're picking 6, 16, and 18 when they came into the night thinking, we might be picking 1 and 5. Right. They could have had two top five picks, and they end up with, with not that. Um, and after just some some monumental tanking, just they, 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 that team was, was too good all year long. They just kept winning, and so they would have to slowly take players away. Sigulus Alexander, you're not playing. Lou Dort, stop winning games. You're sitting down. <laughs> did this for the entire second half of the season. Until they, they sent finally... Al Horford home. <laughs> That's it. They didn't even say, they didn't even fake an injury. They just said, you're Tre- going home. Trevor Ariza never even showed up. Somebody's <laughs> not well been on the team. Uh, and would they end up losing like 18 in a row or something towards the end of I the year? I think it was like 20 of 21. I know, but you know what the funny thing about it is they finished one loss behind, or I guess in front of Orlando. And then sure enough, Orlando gets the fifth pick and they get the sixth pick. So, they could have tanked a little bit harder and done better. It's well, not our, like one of those situations where you wanted to be better because that was the team that jumped up. Our, our Kyle Boone, who did the winners and losers for the draft lottery, uh, mentioned that that final game where the Clippers out-tanked the Thunder might have actually made the difference for the Thunder. If they don't win that game, they might end up with a top three pick. Well, okay, can we just talk about that for a second, by the way? The Clippers probably regret doing that tanking right now because if they'd been the three seed they would have played phoenix before Kawhi got hurt 
maybe Kawhi could have swung the series. Now they're down 2-0. Counterpoint, they're in the Western Conference Finals. They don't care. Okay, I mean, I, I guess that's reasonable. <laughs> At least for them, anyway. Like, yeah. you know, uh, some franchises think making the Western Conference Finals an accomplishment. I wouldn't know about that covering the Lakers. I mean, they, they have higher ambitions, but each their own, I guess. Yeah, I wrote this glowing story about the Clippers finally making the Western Conference Finals and having grown up in L.A., you know, how exciting that is uh, after watching this team lose for so many years and just kind of be the, the butt of every Los Angeles sports joke. Um, and then a Lakers fan wrote back to me and was like, LOL, y'all really acting like you won the championship. And I was like, yeah, that's kind of true. <laughs> they are. It's literally... <laughs> This is literally the greatest season in Clippers history. Like, let that sink in. Yeah. Like, right now, when DeMarcus Cousins is playing for them in the Western Conference Finals, remember that this is the pinnacle of Clippers basketball. Yeah, just watching Patrick Beverly just headbutt people. It's amazing. But I'm going to say that that headbutt was inadvertent, but we're not going to get into that. It's just, you know what it, like, if you've yeah. ever played pickup basketball, it's just the guy that's, like, way too aggressive. And it's like, he's not being dirty, but, like, he just causes problem. Like you're, you're going to hurt somebody if you're that like in people's space all the time. Yeah. We haven't actually talked about these teams at all. Colin, number one, Detroit. How does Kate Cunningham fit? You're the draft guy here. Uh, yeah, as a draft guru. Well, um, I have looked extensively at Kate Cunningham, particularly the comparisons to Luka Doncic, because I think the initial response that most people have, which is this response that I had was like, get the F out of here. Like nobody's Luka Doncic. Um, and he's not, but, um, they do a lot of very similar things. They're almost exactly the same size. Um, Cade's in slightly better shape, but I wouldn't say he's a, a more dynamic athlete. I'd say they're pretty even on that front, just in terms of the traditional speed, vertical leap, stuff like that. Um, he's a, a playmaker, though. He's a gigantic wing who's a playmaker, um, can set others up. He scores um, pretty effectively. His shot looks like it'll probably translate a little easier. Then Lucas, Lucas has is, is been very inconsistent, even though he shot really well in the playoffs, obviously. But anyway, in terms of impact on Detroit, he's the number one player in the draft. Um, I talked to a scout who said that he's been the number one guy um, for years and years and years, like since he's been in high school. So um, it's not a can't miss, but pretty damn close and plays a, a premium position in the NBA. So. Uh, they're not going to be he's not a guy that he's not LeBron that's going to like take you to being in the conference finals in three years, I don't think. Um, but he's certainly going to lay a foundation if you can get the right pieces around him. I think that's exactly what Detroit needs for their uh, what they hope is a swift rebuild here. So two questions. Number one, I mean, again, he has the body of a wing defensively. Is he going to be able to eventually defend like the top guys? I guess by the time he hits his prime, that's probably going to be Luca Tatum, Jalen Brown, like. The guys of that ilk. And then my other question is, you bring up Luca. Like, Luca is the smartest young player, I think, to enter the NBA, maybe since LeBron. Like, Luca is a generational intellect on the court. Like, does Cade have that feel for the game? Like, is he that sort of problem solver? I'll take I'll take the second question first. And that is, that is one of the main knocks on him, is that uh, if you're nitpicking, um, he doesn't have that kind of transcendent like setting up others mentality like he can make really really good passes and it seems he like he's capable of all these things but as you mentioned guys like uh, we're talking the the top top one percent you know lucas your lebron's uh chris paul's they see the court in a different way I, i'm so hesitant to say like after watching his film like go watch 
his film from Oklahoma State, like he might as well be playing with like a JV high school team in like Division Five. It's like they're not. They were really bad, so it's been it's really hard to evaluate him against the uh, project how he's going to do against real NBA talent. Um, in terms of your first question, defending people, uh, I think he's fine defensively. I don't think he's ever going to be a stopper, but he's um, he's got what Luca's got. You know, he's big and he's smart, so I think you have those tools to work with. I think he'll be okay. He's not going to be a guy that's going to go lock down the number one scorer on, a, on another team, but I think he'll be fine defensively. So I don't want to say this is the elephant in the room because, I mean, we saw this when Dallas drafted Dennis Smith and then a year later they drafted Luka and then six months after that, Dennis Smith was a Nick. Killian Hayes, the Pistons picked him number seven overall last year. I mean, he's a point guard and Cade doesn't necessarily have to be a point guard, but Cade is presumably going to be their primary ball handler, right? And Killian Hayes is not exactly known for his shot. Is that going to work? Do they have to trade Killian Hayes? Yeah, I think it'll work. I mean, especially like, well, where they are now, they're in a position where they're just acquiring talent and and getting guys who they think are going to be good. And you'll figure out the positional fits later. So I don't I don't think that's going to be a problem for them anywhere in the near future. Um, What we have seen is that, you know, we talk about with Luca, like when he's off the court, they're so bad. It's like you do need a secondary ball handler. And that doesn't mean that Hayes has to come off the bench for the rest of his career. He can start with Cade and then, you know, they can kind of platoon it or not platoon. Um, you know what I'm talking about? Stagger yeah. um, so that they don't have to play together all the time. Um, it, it really just depends on how do you develop. But I think it would be a little premature to say, all right, they have a primary ball handler. Now they need to trade Killian Hayes. Well, and I mean, even if that is the case, like you just do it right. Like Dallas did this with Dennis Smith. Like if if there's any inkling after 40, 50 games that you have to make a trade. If one of them is special, you just do it. You just bite the bullet. I mean, I'm not going to throw out fake trades yet, but there is a small part of me that's thinking like, let's get Killian Hayes to San Antonio, like a team that just knows how to develop European guards. Because San Antonio needs more guards. Well, I don't know. What if they trade all of them for Ben Simmons? Ever think of that? Well, yeah, okay. Now we're getting into it. Um, I will say that I'm excited for Detroit. We haven't mentioned Jeremy Grant yet. Um, He was a guy who was the number one ball handler pretty much last year because Hayes was injured for most of the season. And uh, I think it's fair to say he was a little outmatched in that position and and kind of out of position. So I'm very excited to see how he does playing as more. He can still be the primary scorer, but not necessarily the primary playmaker. You have someone else to do that for him. So I think this is a, a big win for him. Well, it kind of pushes him back into the right place, right? Because when he was in Denver, he was like, what, the fourth option? And he did not like that. He wanted to shoot more. So he goes to Detroit where he's shooting to his heart's content. That was a little bit much for him. But now you're in a situation where like, okay, presumably Kate is going to be the star. Sadiq Bey is very, very good. Where like Grant can just be one of these guys that on some night scores 24 and on some night scores 14. And that seems like the right job for him, right? I think so. I think, uh, I think it's, it's one of those things where he wanted to push the limits and say, okay, look, I can be the number one guy and, I mean, he was their number one guy, but I think it was pretty clear by the end of the year that he shouldn't be your number one guy if you're trying to win a lot of basketball games. So no, nothing against Jeremy Grant. He improved a ton. He looks really good. I think he'll continue to improve, but I think uh, he'll certainly benefit from from the addition of Cade Cunningham. That's enough Pistons. We've talked a lot of Pistons. You want to just go to number two then? Let's go to number two. All right, Houston. First of all, Sam, is this... Getting the number two pick, is this karma from the whole James Harden situation, or 
should they have gotten one if that was if that was karma well usually that's what happens right like Cleveland loses LeBron and they get Kyrie New Orleans loses Chris Paul and they get Anthony Davis New Orleans loses Anthony Davis and they get Zion New Orleans loses Zion so they get whoever the next guy's gonna be um usually that's the way it goes what was that what was that last part (laughs) edit that part out um Insider, insider information. Are you the uh, family member who's upset? Is that you, the unnamed family member? Diane and I famously, we have very similar body types. Um, Powerhouse. Yeah, right. Built like a steakhouse, handles like a bistro. Um, wow. No, uh, <laughs> I'm not going to say that it's karma for James Harden. What I am going to say is I think we have to factor this into the haul from the Harden trade in general. Because part of the value of trading a superstar as we talk about so frequently, I know you don't like to tank, is that it makes your own picks more valuable, right? If Houston had either kept James Harden or traded for Ben Simmons, they wouldn't have the number two pick right now, right? You agree with that? Unless, you know, the karma gods did their thing. But yes, they would have had a much lower chance right. of getting to number two. Exactly. So you have to think of this as part of the haul for Harden. So not only do you get all of those Brooklyn picks, you get either Mobley or Green or Suggs or whoever you end up taking. We can get into that in a minute. I think that that's worthwhile and something we have to talk about with Raphael Stone. I have to imagine that he had that in mind to some extent. But, of course, if you want to doubt that, I wouldn't blame you either because he traded Karis LeVert for, Vic, for Victor Oladipo. So it yeah. seems like he kind of wanted to win now and they sort of lucked into this. But that still is value from the trade. Yeah, and they got nothing for Victor Oladipo, which is – kind of weird but we talked about how maybe they just wanted a blank slate no money or whatever i don't know they seems like they probably could handle it better but now they have the number two pick and this is a really interesting one because Cade's the number one consensus guy almost certainly going to go number one um there's a lot of choices for houston here and and i think at least from the people i've talked to most people think mobley is uh, you know in a vacuum the number two prospect just in terms of talent and upside but Houston does have Christian Wood. Uh, you can talk about whether they can play together or whether um, that means Wood could eventually get traded, um, which might be in their best interest uh, since he's doing pretty well. Um, but they can also go for a guard, Jalen Suggs, Jalen Green. Um, I think those are probably uh, the, the three that they'll look at most. I can't imagine anyone else coming into them. But um, it's going to be a, bi- a big decision for them because it's going to kind of be – all of those guys have the potential to be foundational, like star pieces, and picking the right one is going to be important for them. Yeah, I, I think each of them presents very different sorts of appeals, and not just in like their position and their talent. Jalen Green is the superstar play, right? Like he's the one of these three that you would say is the. I'm not going to say the best chance to be a superstar, but like the upside is highest with him. Jalen Suggs is the culture guy, like right. Everybody who has played with Jalen Suggs, his coach Jalen Suggs, just says he's the greatest kid on earth. He's a winning player. He's going to come in and contribute right away. And then Mobley, I mean, aside from most people having him as the number two prospect in this class, I think the other really appealing thing about him is that he's just such a unique big man, which Christian Wood also is on offense, just as somebody who can like score from anywhere on the floor, fit with basically anybody. If you have two of those guys in your front court, that opens up a whole lot for you, right? Like, imagine running double drag pick and rolls where, like, one of them is popping out behind the arc and the other is diving to the rim, but you don't know which one is going to do which because they can do, both do both. 
you know, Christian Wood, not a great defender. Evan Mobley projects as a very, very good defender. I think shop, that shop blocker up, extraordinaire. That opens up a lot for you as far as your roster building goes, where you have such a unique front court that can match up with basically anybody that, you know, you don't really need as much in the backcourt at that point, or you don't have to have, you know, the traditional, you know, star on ball score, ball handler, whatever, or at least you can maybe be a little more flexible in that sense. So I, I really could see them going any of the three ways. I wouldn't fault them for any of them. If I had to pose a guess right now, I would say it would be Jalen Green. I'm seeing some mock drafts say mock drafts say that too. It just seems like they're in a position where they're thinking about upside. The reason I have a little bit of doubt with that is that he plays the same position as Kevin Porter. And I don't know if you necessarily want two guys of that ilk. I'd probably pick Mobley, but I think any of the three are viable. A few things to unpack there. I think, so I had Green above Mobley in my first mock draft, which came out like a week ago or two weeks ago. Um, since then, I've talked to a couple scouts, and one is very, very high on Mobley, and I might be changing my mind. Uh, this was obviously before we knew the order, but I think um, basically what this scout told me is like, we need to stop thinking of Evan Mobley as a big man. Um, and that is because his, obviously his size, <laughs> he's a big guy, but um, he's saying he's basically, he can defend wings. He thinks, at least offensively, he's got the capabilities to be more of a wing ball handler, shot creator type of guy, um, and that he was just kind of kind of uh, handcuffed at USC, that we didn't get to see all this stuff from him. So that's one scout. I opinion. gambled on USC yeah. quite a bit, and <laughs> I can assure you they might have had the worst collection of guards in the entire country. I know logically that's not true because you can recruit at USC, but the disparity between the Mobley brothers and their guards were just, my God. Yeah. So, so I guess my point is, if we're talking about like, oh, they already have a big, maybe that's not necessarily the worst thing in the world. Um, if you have a guy like Mobley, who they think some people at least think could be more of like a wing type player. Um, in terms of Jalen Green, uh, his kind of redundancy with Kevin Porter, I think people think that Green will eventually develop into a playmaker. Um, but really, what he is is he's a bucket getter right now, and that's what he's going to be from day one. Um, kind of like a more efficient Anthony Edwards, I guess you think of it that way. Um, freak athlete, dunking on people all the time. I met this kid when he was 15 years old, 16 years old, um, did a big feature on him, and I spent the day with him. He was already doing all the you know, private workouts, the shooting, the body, the lifting, the dynamics, all that stuff. Um, he's been, obviously went to the G League Ignite. Like He's had nothing on his mind but professional basketball since he was you know, 12 years old. So he's, uh, I think he's going to be really good right away. Um, and if you're Houston, Kevin Porter Jr. is probably more of a, at least in their minds, more of a point wing, a point forward. So I don't think he would really be that redundant with Green because Green's more of a scorer, at least at this stage in his career, in my opinion. I view Porter as more of a scorer in his fully actualized form. And like the guy has just no qualms about shooting. He'll take a million shots. So, I, I mean, again, I, I don't think there's a wrong choice here. And I also just think in general, Kevin Porter is maybe not the safest prospect to bet on, like even internally. There's a reason he was available in the first place. So I think if you were to pick green and just say, well, maybe there's a little redundancy, a little redundancy in the Porter spot doesn't really bother me all that much. I'm just going to say hypothetically, if, Ke if Christian Wood were to become available after an Evan Mobley pick, do you have any teams in mind? I have a very prominent one. Well, why don't you, you tell know me where yours? I'm go. The Golden State Warriors. Christian Wood 
for number seven and number 14. Man, a, ver- a vertical spacer who can also stretch to the three-point line. I think Steve Kerr might just, just have a heart attack. I don't even know if he could finish the season. Draymond would protect him on defense. It's kind of the perfect fit, right? And then you still have Wiseman after you do that trade. Maybe you trade Wiseman somewhere else. I don't know. But, like, can you imagine a closing lineup of Curry, Thompson, Wiggins, Draymond, and Wood? It's pretty, it's pretty solid. Yeah, I feel like the the Rockets would probably want a little more than seven and 14 for wood, but take who, another know, future who knows, who knows what plenty. the market is, you know? Yeah. No, I, that's, that's good. I, I think the other thing is we hear so much about the Rockets wanting to accumulate picks and also save money too, by the way, because I'm, well, they're going to be super cheap next year anyway, but getting off wood wouldn't hurt even though woods on a great contract. So I'll just put that out there. It would also help them tank next year, which I think they probably want to do. Because starting in 2024, the Thunder start getting their picks. So if they want to tank, they've got to tank now. So I'm just <laughs> throwing that out there. I, I think New Orleans would be a good fit for Christian Wood. I think basically any team, really. Like any team that isn't set at center or power forward could use him. I mean, he can play both positions. He's incredible on offense. Christian Wood is fantastic. Everybody yeah, should be great, trying to trade for him. Great, great NBA story. Guy bounced around, got cut by a couple different teams. That's what you want to see. Um, Houston. Yeah, we're good at Houston. Next is uh, Cleveland, who actually jumped into the top three. So congrats to them. Um, they really deserve this, Colin. So much <laughs> luck, such a smart franchise. Like, listen, how dare you say that Cleveland has had too much lottery luck? How dare you, Colin? He's putting words in my mouth. Like, uh, I'm not the biggest fan of Dan Gilbert's son and his bow ties. Was he the representative tonight? I forget. I don't think so. I think. How many times has he done it? He's done it several times. That's a, after they got that. the number one pick like six consecutive years, they were like, we got to retire this guy. He's, <laughs> he's too good at this. Well, like what they, they had a stretch for like several years where like, I think they fell down a couple spots last year. They fell down a couple spots the year before that. So like, maybe they just feel like, sorry, kid. Like you had your moment in the sun. <laughs> your magic, magic oh, done run out. You're not um, a kid you're just a depressing, like middle-aged man. <laughs> Aren't we all? We all go through that same growth. Um, but Cleveland, so how pissed would Cleveland be if Houston takes Mobley and then they're like, God damn it, we got to take another guard, don't we? Yeah, I, I think it would be sensible for Cleveland to call Houston and try to trade up, right? I mean, Mobley is the one that they want, period. There's no argument here, right? Like, what, are you going to take Jalen Green? And I don't know. I, did you see those Isaiah Hartenstein minutes towards the end of last year? They might, uh, they might not want to give him too much competition there. Well, like, honestly, Cleveland does have plenty of big men. Like, Cleveland quietly has, like, I'm not going to say a deep roster, but they're sort of a glut where, like, they have all these guards. They have Garland. They have Sexton. They have, uh, I feel like there's one other guard whose name is escaping me. I'm a Dylan Wendler fan. Maybe that's what I'm thinking of. Whatever you want to call Isaac Okoro. Isaac Okoro is what I'm thinking of. Thank you. But then they also have Jared Allen, who's presumably their starting center. They have Larry Nance, who should be their starting power forward. And then Kevin Love making $30 million. By the way... If they draft Evan Mobley, game on for Kevin Love because he's getting a buyout at that point. You think he's a buyout guy? You don't think they're going to be able to trade him? Who's trading for Kevin Love? Oh, excuse me, Olympian Kevin Love. <laughs> that was an <laughs> odd. Single, that was an odd, odd alert to get. <laughs> I that, that has to be the single most surprising Olympic roster selection I ever remember. Do you think like people thought that they had like discovered time travel when they got that text? Like, oh my God, am I in 2016? What's going on? 
So wasn't he announced in like the same tweet by Woj as somebody else? Like, was he a package deal with somebody maybe? Maybe. Yeah. He's like, if he goes, I go. Maybe it's an agency thing. I don't know. They just want his veteran leadership. Remember the 2019 World Cup where like there were all these reports that Carmelo wanted to play to boost his value and Team USA said no? Isn't that kind of what's going on with Kevin Love? <laughs> he has also, no value. Like, if you're like trying to bring in like good locker room guys, isn't this the guy who like actively quit on his team like five times last season? <laughs> yeah, I, this makes no sense to me whatsoever. Like, does Popovich know him and like him or something? Who uh, are the coaches? Because Steve Kerr doesn't have a relationship with him that we know of. Like, he never I, coached him in the NBA. Is there something going on? There's a lot of a lot of things happen behind the scenes in the NBA that we're not privy to, and this sounds like like something of that ilk. But anyway, right. Cleveland, I yeah, I, it is. I mean, Jared Allen's pretty good, but obviously, like, I think this goes back to what I was saying before, like or what you were saying before about Wood and Mobley playing together. I think having Allen and Mobley, I mean, goodness gracious, good luck scoring at the rim. Um, I, I, I think the other part of this is like we look at Memphis with Jonas Valanciunas, who's older than Jared Allen, obviously who is presumably the center for now, but you figure when Memphis is ready to contend, they'll probably make Jaron their center and move on from Jonas. This could be a good, like, welcome to the NBA situation for Mobley, where Jared Allen is doing the harder center things early on. But when Mobley is, like, ready to be Mobley and the team is ready to, you know, win at the higher levels, then you maybe trade Jared Allen down the line. That's a great, yeah, that's a really good call. And I really like that model. Um, I know it's very difficult to do on a lot of these teams because they're so bad and they just need to play their best players. Um, but I do like the idea of at least in the beginning of these guys' careers, if not coming off the bench, at least not having to be like, you know, the savior of the franchise right away. Um, uh, I don't, I, I need to talk to more people about Mobley and, and kind of his readiness. I think everybody, uh, as you do with most 19 year olds, you're projecting. You know, what is this player going to be like in five, ten years? But um, with him, I'm not quite sure what to expect, you know, from day one that he sets foot in training camp. I think he's going to be a little raw. And I think you see this especially with defensive minded big men. Anthony Davis was not a good defender the first year or two. Right. Like that's no fault of his own. It's just really hard to be a good big defender as a rookie. Like who are the best rookie defenders that you can think of? I always have four that come to mind. Kawhi Leonard, Justice Winslow, Lou Dort, and Matisse Thibel. And they are all perimeter guys. Like, can you name me a really good defensive rookie center? James Wiseman, does he Duncan? count? No. no. Um, yeah, Tim Duncan, obviously. But, um, yeah, that's uh, I, I remember when people were talking about DeAndre Ayton his rookie year, it was kind of the same thing. It was just like, it's really, really hard to be a big man, a rookie big man in the NBA. There's just a lot going on. Uh, one, you have to stay out of foul trouble, which a lot of younger guys have trouble doing because you have to learn the refs and the contact level and everything like that. Two, especially now, I mean, gajillion pick-and-roll coverages you have to worry about. You have to be able to extend the three-point line, get back to the paint. You know, it's it's a it's a tall task for a uh, eh, tall task for big men. I'll be here all week. Shot. Yeah. But yeah, um, it's a, I, I'm not sure how good he'll be right away, but I, I, I think of like a Bam Adebayo where you just kind of, hey, he's, you know, oh, okay. You know, he's doing a few things his rookie year, and then suddenly when he starts to get more playing time, you're like, oh, wow, yeah, this is what we got. So let's say Mobley goes number two, which is, I guess, I'm not going to say the likeliest scenario, but it's certainly a distinct possibility. 
and Cleveland is left to pick one of these guards, A, which one do you take? And B, are you trying to trade one of the other guys or break up sex land, God forbid? I know. That's so tough because like Garland's actually like he had a really good season quietly. Nobody really cares because Cleveland was so bad. But um, uh, I know I think it's pretty clear at this point that Sexton is not a point guard. So, well, um, don't tell people don't tell people that because my <laughs> move is I'm calling up Philly and I'm saying, hey, you're having trouble finding a Ben Simmons trade. What about Colin Sexton for Ben Simmons? You know, get that point guard you've always wanted. So then Simmons goes and plays what power, power forward? forward and Garland. And at this point, you take Jalen Suggs. Because Garland and Suggs can both shoot. Yeah, I think I would. I think I would take Green. I would rather. That would, works too. It's yeah, the same idea. I would have. Yeah, Garland and Green, and then Ben Simmons and Jared Allen. Your one problem is that I don't think Ben Simmons would enjoy Cleveland. I don't think he's a Cleveland kind of guy. Is it, yeah, I get. Wow, I'm. You had a whole podcast about Ben Simmons trades, um, but are, are are we can like. Like what? What does Ben Simmons? If he's already kind of whatever you want to call it, his mental state on the basketball court, where he's not shooting at all in the fourth quarter and shooting 32% from the free throw line, clearly something's going on. He gets traded to a situation that he doesn't want to be in. Like what? What is what is potentially going to happen here? Well, what's the what's the other side of this, right? Like he has three years left on his contract. What's he going to do about it? Well, that's what I'm saying. Like what we've right. seen. Guys, you know, James Harden not give his all, uh, as we just mentioned. Kevin Love inbounding the ball to the wrong team on purpose. Like, there are things that people can do to get out of situations that they don't like. Well, I I hate to say this because it might not be a positive relationship, but his agent is Rich Paul, and Rich Paul and the Cavaliers know each other pretty well. So I think if if Rich Paul went to the Cavs and said, don't trade for men, that would probably be enough for them to say, okay, this probably isn't going to go well. I know we shouldn't be talking about Ben Simmons, but it is interesting in the context of the lottery because now that we know where teams are picking, I think that opens up a lot of different possibilities. So I, it's it's all I think that's part of the reason why lottery day is such an exciting time in the NBA because it's like now we can start doing these fake trades in earnest because we know that Cleveland has number three or you know we we know what team needs what. So um, yeah, anything else on Cleveland? I think we've pretty much yeah, thought. Well, that. So you're taking green number three if Mobley is number two. Uh, I I think I would again. The the people I have, that I've talked to are very high on Jalen Green and the fact that we got to see him in the G League against grown men, um, not in this weird college season, is probably going to help him. I would think so. Um, I, I again, yeah, I don't think you can go wrong either way, but I would go with Green. Well, can you play Green, Sexton, and Garland together? Sure. I, I, I can't say you anything. just figure it out. You just, yeah, like it's, it's the end. It's the NBA, you know, like I never, you can't really say what a lineup is. The Clippers are playing Terrence Mann at center and going to the Western conference finals. Like, you know, things are crazy right now. Hey, Colin, are you ready for me to piss you off? Let's hear it. Who says no? Colin Sexton for Kyle Kuzma, number 22 and an unprotected 2027 first round pick. I think. Have you just offered this iter- like this trade for every player yes. in the NBA? It's a hundred percent. It's like you just rotate which teams. You know how I just I want to trade Dwight Powell every podcast. That's going to be my new thing. I'm going to trade Kyle Kuzma every podcast. Kuzma's stock 
Whose stock dropped more this year, Kyle, this postseason, Kyle Kuzma or Ben Simmons? Ben Simmons, because like Kyle Kuzma, a has won a championship. B, he's played like he played six games. Like not much can happen in six games. We have such a track record of Ben Simmons in the playoffs that like we kind of know what he is. It's pretty unassailable. I still maintain that in the right situation, Kyle could be the scorer he was in his second year and the defender he was this year. Counterpoint. We kind of always knew what Ben Simmons was in the back of our heads, and he just kind of showed it. Uh, my second counterpoint, the the Kyle Kuzma hype train during the regular season around Lakerland. I don't know. I, I, it was I know. so I was the incredibly loud. You were the conductor, and now he has a bad playoff series. They're like, what can we get for Kyle Kuzma? Let's trade Kyle Kuzma. No, honestly, it's not necessarily that they have to trade Kyle Kuzma. It's more that they have to make a trade, and he's the only guy they have that like anybody might want. What are That's they going to do? Are they going to trade Montrez Harrell? We you know they're not trading Taylor Horton Tucker because they could have had Kyle he's Lowry. Untouchable. No. <laughs> so that's my point. Like somebody is going to want Kyle Kuzma, and like Cleveland, if you've got a bit of a glut with guards, let me help you out with that. That's all I'm well, saying. That's certainly a possibility. Um, if Houston does take Mobley, Cleveland is almost certainly, if they stay in that pick, going to take a guard, and then. We'll have to ask all these questions, and trades will be on the table. Um, moving on, the the surprise of the draft. Toronto Raptors being rewarded. Again, we talk about this karma, being rewarded for spending an entire year in Tampa and having their season completely upended by COVID. Uh, jump from number seven to number four. This is This is pretty big. This is really fun for them, right? Like, number one... They have not had a star since Kawhi Leonard, but not just that. Like, we've talked about this on the pod several times. They don't really have a direction, right? Like, when it was just Siakam, Ananobi, and Van Vliet, like, a bunch of good players in their mid-20s. they have anything? Well, like, now they might have a North Star here a little bit. They might have somebody they can develop into something pretty special. But B, that player development infrastructure is maybe the best in the NBA, and they've done it with late picks, right? Like Pascal Siakam was number 27. OG Ananobi, I think, was 23. Fred Van Vliet was undrafted. Look what they've done with those guys. Now imagine what they could do if they got their hands on like a talent like Jalen Green. Even a guy like like Malachi Flynn, who we saw last year, step in, in extreme circumstances and play play pretty well. So they, they do have a track record. And I think it's important to note that like in this draft, like the top four guys are generally considered to be like you know, potential franchise changers. After that, there's some really good players, but I think after that top four, you're looking at a, a pretty decent drop-off. So Toronto is either getting one of these guys or has the ability to trade one of these guys for something that they want more win now, you know, depending on what they want to do. So um, big win for Toronto. Well, they're in a good spot overall here because remember at the deadline, they traded Norm Powell for Gary Trent which saves them a bunch in terms of getting a lower cap hold. So now with this pick, even they're only jumping up like 2 million in salary by going from seven to four. So they're going to add a potential future all-star at number four, but they're also going to have $21 million in cap space. So all of a sudden you're looking at a roster that has Ananobi, Siakam, Van Vliet, um, Gary Trent, um, Chris Boucher, who we, who we like Jalen Suggs. Um, like that's a lot of talent. And a lot of pretty young talent. So, like, you could talk yourself into, okay, if we sign the right free agent, in a year or two, we could be back to the top of the East. 
And if they, so I'll ask you, if they get Suggs or Green, I guess. Well, Suggs. Let's say Suggs. Are you you bringing back Kyle Lowry? Because obviously, like, that's the guy you want to mentor your young point guard, but then you're going to have to pay the price. Honestly, I would sign and trade him for something younger. Like, I would go all in because you have Fred Van Vliet, too, right? Like, you know, what Kyle was to Fred, Fred could be to Jalen. And Jalen is such a great culture guy. But I don't think he really needs the mentor in the way that, like, some other young point guards have. Right. And by the and, way, also, can you think of, like, just two players that are – I mean, Suggs is higher upside, obviously. He's more athletic. Him, Suggs and Van Vliet are very similar players in that they can play on or off the ball. They can both shoot. They're both tenacious defenders. Like, that is a perfect fit in the backcourt together. He seems They're going like to love a, playing together. He seems like a Raptor. He really does. He also, really you should does. note note that uh, – Kyle Lowry's unrestricted, so if he doesn't want to come back to Toronto, he doesn't have to. No, but I'm thinking, like, they now have, like, $20 million. They, maybe they use that on a center. Like, maybe they sign Rashawn Holmes. And, like, now, boom, we have our starters, and we have two or three top bench guys. Yeah. I, I, I mean, it's cool. It's I think it's always cool when uh, I think pretty much everyone can agree that last season was an anomaly for Toronto. Um, they're going to be back in the mix in that, you know, three to six area in the East next year, most likely depending on what they do this offseason. But um, I always like it when you get a team that's, like, pretty good that gets, like, one of these top picks. Well, we saw this with Golden State last year. I mean, they took the wrong guy. But I feel like Golden State— I will not like, tolerate any more Wiseman slander on here, okay? LaMelo could have been for Golden State what Jalen Suggs is going to be for Toronto, right? You can't make these sweeping generalizations after one year of COVID protocols. James Wiseman only played three college games. I'm just regurgitating— every single argument being made on Warriors Twitter on a daily basis. You're just saying what you need to say to get to sleep at night. That's it's, really what it is. You not, could have covered LaMelo Ball in person for 15 years. Guy's not a, I'm going to say I love, love watching him, but not a great interview. Well, who cares? You get to watch him in person every night. Again, I'm just trying to get to sleep at night. Right. Um, I, I, w- I will say, I hope, I mean, I would be, I think Jalen Sucks would be a great fit there. I would love to see Jalen Green fall to Toronto at number four just because he is such an upside play that, like, can you imagine a better situation for an upside guy than Toronto with their player development infrastructure? Like, man, would, like that, that would be really perfect. Yeah, my only fear would be that Green seems like, uh, like, as I mentioned, like, he's, I, I, this is just from what I know because I don't really know these other guys, but it, it just seems like he would be the one who is ready to show what he's got now and going to a place like Toronto where they might bring him along a little more slowly might rub him the wrong way. Not that it wouldn't be good for him, but he might not be happy with it. Well, I mean, I think the other part of it is if you're Cleveland, even if you think Jalen Green is a better player, I I don't know him as well as a person. I'm not going to say what he's going to be like in a locker room. I do think Jalen Suggs is a culture changer and Cleveland needs a culture change. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, but yeah. Yeah, it's tough. We should also talk about Mobley for Toronto. By the way, if Houston is fine with all three guys, I wouldn't be surprised if Houston called Toronto and said, hey, you already have plenty of guards. You need a center. Give us two extra first-round picks and trade up number two for Mobley. If they got Mobley, they could just re-sign Lowry and say, boom, we're good to go. We're ready to win next year. This is a a really good point. This is definitely a trade-up draft because – there are guys in the bottom, like, we don't need to get into all the details, but, like, there are a lot of prospects who are 
wildly this will change over the next couple weeks with the combine individual workouts and stuff but like there are some boards where you'll see a guy six and then you'll see that same guy like 42 on someone else's board so there are going to be teams that fall in love with guys and they'll say look we're not as high on Suggs as some of these other people Suggs is there at number four let's trade down to eight or nine and, you know, see what we can get because we like the guy we can get at eight at nine. You know, we, we like Davion Mitchell or Scotty Barnes or whatever. Well, uh, you think that's going to happen in the top four? I don't think so, but I, I would not be surprised because there, there are a lot of prospects in this draft that I think you can, you can fall in love with. Well, I think that, that the inflection point is going to be number five, right? Like I think Orlando, it seems like we know who the top four is going to be. Jonathan Kuminga is the likeliest number five, but it feels like Orlando is the team that also is in such asset accumulation mode that if somebody falls in love with Kuminga or with Scotty Barnes or with Mitchell and you want to jump ahead of Golden State and you want to jump ahead of Oklahoma City, Orlando would be the team that's open for business. Right. And I think five is going to be a very difficult decision. Uh, The scout that I talked to about Kuminga uh, said he wouldn't take him in the lottery. I don't think so. you're losing sleep if you don't take Kuminga. <laughs> like, I, I'm not saying I think Kuminga is going to be bad. I haven't scouted him very extensively, but I think the top four guys are like pretty unassailable. Whereas Kuminga, there are real question marks where if you don't take him, I don't think you would have to blame yourself if he turned into a star. Right. And then Scotty Barnes is another one who is just a very, very intriguing prospect, but um, limited. He's a Florida State guy. He's exactly like all the other Florida State guys. Not a confident shooter. Uh, we don't really know what he looks like in an NBA situation. Seem he could be, you know, uh, like a mini Draymond Green, or he could be a Kyle Anderson. You know, like it's just a very wide ranging uh, possibilities for him. So, again, what is it with Florida State and, sh- and forwards that can't shoot? They have a type. You know, everybody has a type. But how does that work, right? Like, are they specifically recruiting guys that can't shoot? Well, it's probably like a, it's like a, it's probably like a, um, like a money ball thing. Like you find an area that's undervalued and they say, okay, nobody's not nobody, but these guys are missing out on the top schools because they can't shoot, but they have all these other skills that we think are, will be valuable to us. And I'm assuming they think that they can teach them to shoot. And then a lot of times it just doesn't happen. Well, there are a lot of guys in this draft that are like that, right? Like Kamingo's like that. Um, Scotty Barnes is like that. Like there are guys in this draft that Josh if they Giddy. land, yeah, if there are guys that like if they land on the right team, like New Orleans has one of the best shooting coaches in the NBA, Fred Vinson. San Antonio is one of the best in the NBA in Chip England. Like New Orleans is picking ten, San Antonio picking twelve. Are they going to get one of these? Like, are they going to get a steal on one of these athletes because they can teach that guy how to shoot? Yeah, and and I mean, as we've talked about a bunch, like you don't need to make every shot; you just have to make certain shots, mostly corner three pointers. <laughs> any other? Um, think, are we even? Do we have any Orlando on? thoughts? Do we yeah, care about just, the <laughs> Are we on Orlando? Um, yes. Number. I mean, we talked. You talked about it. Number five is going to be a big inflection point and very confusing spot. Although someone in the next coming weeks will probably shoot up because, like a Patrick Williams last year, where he just has amazing workouts and becomes like the guy but um we'll see um orlando has five and eight i think like what do they care that positionally they're just, they're no, just taking the two best guys best right? player best player available so yeah. yeah all right oklahoma city number six 
This Plus is on. such a disappointment on so many levels for them. I mean, putting aside, even if they had gotten five and six, even if they'd gotten the Rocket pick, Rockets pick, and then their own head fallen number six, like at least you could have lived with that because Houston not getting their own pick, if Houston had fallen to 18, that would have made it that much harder for Houston to get good in time for 24, 25, 26 when they have their picks. So that's the real issue here, right? Not only are they not getting a great pick at number six, they're not getting the value they felt they were getting out of Houston either. So sure, you can get a good player at number six, but like, man, I'm so disappointed for them. Yeah, I mean, we have <laughs> we have different thoughts on this, uh, but I will say that when you have a team that is playing well, like the Thunder were, and you actively make them bad, you're tempting fate, man. So I know you feel okay. bad for them. Counterpoint. What did the Raptors do for the last 30 games of the year? They get a pass because they were in Tampa. That was a nobody's. I mean, not nobody's talking about it. Lots of people in Toronto are talking about this, but that's it was a very underrated story that they just were never home for the entire season. Like that's a that's a really big deal. Okay, I'm not dismissing that. I'm just yeah. saying like you can't selectively enforce tanking karma. That's they did they did tank. They did do. They did do that. Well, like look at up and down the board. There was plenty of tanking. Houston tanked really aggressively. They had the worst record in the NBA, and they're picking number two. I like the late. I like the late tank. The like this wasn't the plan, but we we're bad, so let's just start tanking. <laughs> the best tank is the I call it starting lineup graphic tank, where you're watching a game on like March 28th, and like you're just tuning in. You flick it on right before the game, and you see the graphic, and you find yourself thinking. I'm familiar with two of the five names on the screen, and I do this for a living. I remember the first time I saw Dorian Finney-Smith's name. He was up there because it was a Dallas game. They were, it was in the tank for Luka year. I was like, this Dorian Finney-Smith guy, that's not an NBA player's name. That's an Explorer's name. I, I get the, the reference, Dorian the Explorer. Um, but also <laughs> a member of the all-hyphen team, so let's not, let's not you know, besmirch oh, him too much. Yeah. Um, but that's called that's called DFS Christmas is what that's called when teams just start starting these guys who are like you're like doing research and like you can't find any stats on them. Those are my favorite. Those are the best days of daily fantasy sports. So we know who Oklahoma City is going to take, right? Because they have a type. It's going to be Scotty Barnes. Oh, I thought you're like Poku have a younger brother or something. Oh, like well, a 40, 14 I mean, year what old. they do is they just take athletic forwards. That's what they do. Yeah, but at a certain point, you get you get too many. You get well. What they're gonna figure out is like if we take ten, two of them will learn how to shoot and become stars. That's the plan. I guess. What about yeah? I don't know. I guess, so again, they're they're not probably concerned at all with fit, right? So they're just taking the guy they like the best. Right. I I, I think this is stupid, and I think people will say we're kind of crazy for talking about this. Should we bring up the, like, maybe they should think about trading Gilgis Alexander again? Should we bring we, that up? We try all? to bring that up a lot. How about, how about, uh, this can kind of be part of the same conversation, but they have, what, 6, 16, and something else? Yeah. Could they could they package those and, and try to either move up or try to uh, trade for, like, another young player instead of drafting in those spots? Because they have all I these think, draft yeah. picks, and they're not going to be able to keep them all. I think if I were them and I were going to take an athlete at number six, like let's say it's going to be Scotty Barnes, maybe you call New Orleans and you say, we'll give you 16 and 18 for 10, and we'll take Corey Kispert. Like, 
kind of offset the athleticism with the shooter there. Something like that. Okay. But still Ron not, Wagner, not, maybe, not, like, not no. anything like, like splashy. Like, no, I, I, like I would Christian love it if they trade, you know, like right. I, I don't, I don't think you can trade 16 and 18 for a good young starter on a rookie contract, right? Six, 16 and 18. No, if you're trading six, that's another conversation. Yeah. If you're trading six, 16 and 18. Okay. You can probably get somebody half decent there, but my question for Oklahoma City is they tried so hard to tank this year and they only ended up at number six. It's not going to be easy for them to tank again if Gilgis Alexander is back, right? Right. Yeah. He And I mean, you know, I think that foot injury is real. I guess we'll never know. But let's let's hope he comes back strong. Well, but this I guy was amazing. Real. I think it's real. But like at the same time, I don't think the Thunder were exactly rushing him back. Right. They're just like, yeah, you're good. And the Thunder did plenty of other things to tank. My point is, if if SGA is back next year, they're going to be, like, in the number eight or number nine slot in the lottery at best. I don't, I'm just saying, like, if you want to hold on to your young star guard, I don't blame you one bit. But if they said, we're not bad enough to tank properly, let's offer SGA for, like, the third pick, I wouldn't blame them for that. Do you think that Philadelphia, uh, being in the state that they're in, has any effect on the idea or process of tanking for these other teams no because i don't think you're doing it as egregiously as the sixers did the sixers did it very intentionally and with a like a very specific and long roadmap where they were open about the fact that we're going to do this for several years i think if you're a team like the thunder or the magic or one of these teams that you would project to want to tank next year you're probably saying we're doing this on a year-by-year basis I guess that makes sense, but it's just it's a little different with Oklahoma City because they have so many freaking picks. And also, that is such a patient fan base. Like Thunder fans are loving this. Some fan bases can't handle it, but Thunder fans are totally fine with it. And that has something to do with Sam Presti having as much credibility with that fan base as he has. But like, not all GMs could afford to do that. Houston, I think, can tank for a while because Tillman Fertitta has shown like he really believes in Rafael Stone. He's going to let him do what he wants to do to build the team. Then there are other places where it's like, no, you've got to win right now. Like, if Minnesota has a top five pick next year, I think Gerson Rosas is probably gone. Great segue. Uh, the next pick would have been Minnesota's, but because of that Andrew Wiggins, D'Angelo Russell trade, it goes to Golden State. This is probably the last pick we'll talk about in, like, real depth. But this is, I mean, good thing we saved it for the end of the podcast. That's, that's good planning. But this is the most, I mean... In terms of the lottery, this is the most important pick, right? I mean, this is the pick that has the most direct implications to next year's title. Ne- yeah, you, you put year. it much put it much better than I did. Right. This is the this is the pick that is going to have the most direct implications on the next few years. Do we think they're going to keep it? I don't think they want to keep it. I don't think they wanted to keep last year's pick and. It's it's well, the, the same question. I, I guess Just, yeah. Okay, go ahead. We we think they didn't want to keep last year's pick. I think their demands were way too high. Knowing what we know now, could they have gotten Drew Holiday for the number two pick? I think the answer is pretty clearly yes. Because hey, Milwaukee, yeah, what they get? Like, would they get five picks for him? Okay, but it's five picks that are all going to be like number twenty-five. Right. And by the way, it's also swap rights, which are not going to be exercised. Right. Yeah, so they got, I, I mean, I think, 
to be unprotected first, but they're not going to be good first. Yeah. And, you know, the prospect of knowing that Clay was going to be out all year, I'm sure that played into it as well in terms of, like, even if we do pull off this trade, like, are we still going to be a championship contender knowing that Clay's not going to be back until next year? Um, this year, that's obviously not the case. And seeing what we saw from Steph last year, seeing what we saw from Draymond last year, uh, I'm saying last year, like this season. Um, Their season is over, so it counts as last year. It's last cool. year for them. So, yeah, seeing what we saw from those two and their kind of rejuvenation and reestablishing themselves as, you know, top players in the NBA, if Clay's anything close to what he was, packaging seven and Golden State also has 14, which is their own pick, packaging seven and 14 for some quote unquote veterans, which Bob Myers says they need to get veterans uh, if they want to win. Definitely makes sense. It's just a matter of who those guys can be for those picks. Yeah, I, I mean... I don't think that they have to be as married to the idea of getting one superstar for all of their stuff as maybe it seemed like they were, right? It seemed like their plan or their hope was like, we're going to trade this stuff for Bradley Beal, or we're going to trade this this stuff for, you know, insert guy like that. When in truth, like, if they were to say trade number seven for one good starter and then trade Wiseman and 14 for another, like, I think they'd be in good shape. We mentioned Christian Wood. I think Christian Wood would be a great fit for them, but like, would it be crazy if they traded, you know, salary filler and number 14 for Harrison Barnes? I don't think so. Bring him back. Our, our Brad Bodkin would, would go insane. Very he nice. has already gone on insane on this podcast. Right. This Listeners of the podcast are familiar with Brad Bodkin now. Well, he, I don't know if I should say this on the pod. I guess I will. Brad ended up throwing up violently after the podcast we did because he accidentally ate some raw chicken. And I think after listening to that podcast, that feels appropriate. I can't tell if this is like a real story. This is just like a Brad Mad Libs where <laughs> Brad no, it blank genuinely after happened. blank after blank. <laughs> I like he he had his like Jordan had the flu game. He had the Salmonella game. Brad is like he'll like text me and be like, "I ate an entire package of double stuffed Oreos. I feel like I'm dying." And this is like a regular Friday night for him. Yeah, we should get off of him and get back to basketball. But the broad point here is, I think Golden State can go in a number of different directions. And if they aren't married to the idea of getting a star, I think there are a whole bunch of ways they can improve this roster. Right. And if, okay, so let's just say, if they if they can't find a trade, which is always dangerous because, as we saw, the number two pick in last year's draft was a lot better trade asset probably than James Wiseman is right now, I would imagine. Um, Lamelo Ball would have been a better trade asset right. than the number two pick. So you can say, all right, just draft the players that you like, and then you can always trade them later. But we see that that doesn't always work out. But um, a guy like Davion Mitchell would be around probably at seven, maybe. Um, very exciting. He's the win now player of this draft. Could play right away. Already, re- already there defensively. Um, if his shooting holds up from what we saw in college last year, he's going to be really, really good. Um, and then at 14, you have guys like Duarte, Chris Duarte, and Corey Kispert, who are just like tailor-made spot-up shooters, um, which the Warriors need as well. Um, so there are options. I guess this is my point. There are options for them to take, whether they want to keep those guys or end up trading them, but that's a dangerous game to play. Right. I, I think they're just going to keep as open-minded po- as, as possible here. I mean, it wouldn't be the worst thing if they made one of these picks, right? Like, if they're at 14 and they can take Corey Kispert, just come off the bench and make some shots for them, I think that'd be great. You could play Corey Kispert 10 minutes in the playoffs. Right. And and like you said, like um, 
or you always say, I don't know if you said it yet on this podcast, but having low cost rotation players is always a good, a good thing when you're paying. Is that what I always say? I, I would think that what I always say is trade Dwight Powell, number one, Steppy in rule number two, and everybody should tank number three. Those are kind of my three things. You have a lot of things, but I think the general gist of like, oh, we can't just think about these players based on how good they are. We have to think about how good they are relative to their salaries, I think is the point that you, you tend to make. Correct. I care about numbers. Right. And when you have rookies who are contributing to your team on rock bottom salaries, that's a good thing. Well, that's especially important to the Warriors because they just had the most expensive salary in the, or team salary in the NBA. There's a good chance they're going to be even pricier next year. So, yeah, I mean, if they're going to pay some enormous tax bill, having at least like a seventh man who's making $2 million would be very, very helpful. Any other thoughts on the Warriors? I hope they trade this stuff. I hope they go all in because Stephen Curry is that good. I mean, we, we did this over the last couple of days, and I've even done it on this podcast. We've kind of had the Kevin Durant love fest, the like everybody coming to terms with the fact that maybe they were wrong about Kevin Durant or that they didn't appreciate him enough when they had the chance, and they still do have the chance. I hope we have a moment like that for Stephen Curry. Where like we all realize, oh no, this guy really is like as good as his people say he is. I think that's gonna happen. I mean, I, I hope. Well, that uh, was kind of the regular season, right? But we need to see it in the playoffs. Right. Well, he needs to get back into the postseason, and do, that's always been the knock on Curry, right? If you're gonna knock something, it's that he hasn't had those. In some people's opinion, he hasn't had the playoff runs that other superstars that he gets mentioned with have. So. So you know what um, I was thinking last week right before the Sixers fell apart. Would it have been so crazy if like, say the Sixers had beaten the Hawks and they'd gotten past the Bucks because of some injury or another and then won the championship. Seth Curry could have won a finals MVP before Steph. That wouldn't have meant anything. I just think it would have been a Twitter. <laughs> I can't believe this is where your mind goes. You're, you're well, a fascinating no. human being. Would you say if they were to have awarded an MVP of the Hawks Sixers series and the Sixers would have won, Seth might have gotten it, right? If they would have won and he would have kept scoring 35 points a game, yeah, that's it's possible. Yeah. So my point is there was like a genuine shot for a minute of Seth Curry winning a finals MVP over Seth. He looked really good. I'm not going to lie. He looked really good in some of those games. He was, I mean, he does so, he's so much more than the spot up shooter. He's, he was basically running their offense. We talk about contracts a lot on this podcast for obvious reasons. I think Seth is the rare player where every contract he has ever signed has been a positive contract for the team. He's on a four-year, $32 million contract right oh, now. Goodness. Luke Kennard is making twice that. Luke Kennard is going to be next year's Seth Curry in the playoffs. Let's just put that on paper now. We'll all see. Uh. Orlando has one more pick at eight. We don't need to talk about them again. Nine, 10, 11, 12, 13 are Sacramento, New Orleans, Charlotte, San Antonio, Indiana. Which of those teams intrigues you the most? Pelicans have Zion, so it's the Pelicans. Right. I mean, I hope they get a shooter here or, you know, no, I don't even want them to make a trade. I want them to stay young. Just add a shooter here, add somebody to the core, and then see how next year goes. Add some veteran shooters too. That's the name of the game here. We hear all the, these rumblings about Zion and his family being unhappy. I think it's a little early for that. I just be responsible this offseason and don't overthink it. Just get shooters for them. Makes sense to me. For me, I'll pick Indiana just because I think they 
were supposed to be pretty good. And then TJ Warren got hurt and they just had a bunch of crap going on there. Um, they get their new coach, whoever it's going to be, is probably going to be better than whatever was going on with Neat Bjorkman last year. So um, having a 13th pick in this draft, I think, is is pretty good. I think they could get a rotation player or, as we always talk about, they could try to package it for a veteran guy to help them get back in the mix. What's that? We do this a lot. I got to ask you something. We do this a lot where we talk about teams like Indiana. We're like, oh, yeah, they'll get better. They'll get back into the mix in the Eastern Conference. Well, let's look at who's in the Eastern Conference. Brooklyn is going to be I knew you were going to do this. I don't want to go down. Philly and Milwaukee are still going to be very good. Atlanta's ascendant. Miami's going to be back. Boston's going to be back. So when we talk about, like, Toronto back in the 3-6 mix or Indiana getting back up there or Washington, like, no, they're going to be in the play-in. I don't know if Boston's going to be back, but I, I understand your point. Um, but every season something goes wrong. We wouldn't have seen Atlanta doing what they did, you know? We wouldn't have seen the Knicks doing what they did. Well, I'm looking at the standings right now, and I think there's, like, a decent chance the Knicks are in, like, the real lottery next year. Like, not even yeah. the lottery. Like, something's going to happen. People are going to get hurt, as we well, well aware of. So, like, whatever. Charlotte's going to be a lot better because LaMelo is a star. Like, I don't let know me, if Chicago's going to be better. I don't know. Like, I think somebody's going to be disappointed here. Let me be a Pacers believer. Just shout out Matt Snyder. He'll be the only one. CBS Sports Baseball writer, Pacers fan. He's there, like the there, only. There, wait, there is a Pacers fan? I wasn't aware of that. I didn't He's know a, those things existed. This guy's a Hoosier through and through. I guess those are the only ones. Yeah, uh, Sam Quinn, we did it. We talked about the lottery. We didn't talk about the playoffs for like almost a whole hour. That's pretty and cool. And we never will. This isn't the sort of podcast that talks about the playoffs. Yeah, well, we will. I mean, it's playoffs adjacent. Like, <laughs> you had a whole podcast for supplementary about ben, ben Simmons destinations based on one of the worst playoff performances of all time. I love how there are real games going on, and our, our reaction to them is. Well, what do they mean for the stuff that happens off the court? That's the NBA, though, That's right? NBA, That's why we started right. this podcast. No one cares We're about the games. Here, right? Nobody it's, cares about the games. Who's going where? Anyway, uh, thanks for talking to the draft with me. I, I, I get excited about the draft because um, I've been doing a lot of research and preparation, so it's fun to talk draft on here. Yeah, you you know the draft a lot. I do, so I'm excited to talk about this with you more. Generally, don't do more than like the cursory YouTube scouting plus the games that I've on. So I bet on Tyrese Maxey a bunch last year, and that's why I was so high on him during the draft process. I bet on Evan Mobley a bunch this year, and I hated every minute of it. So it has me a little scared of him. Well, hey, stick with what you stick with your gut. You know, that's what you got to do. That's why I'm not a G-com. Thanks for joining me, man. We'll do, we'll do this again. Go like, subscribe, rate. Uh, you know, only five star reviews. Uh, we don't want any of that garbage we're going to have to delete later. So, um, Sam, we'll do it again soon. Thanks for joining me. 